If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. It's episode 19 of For Our Edification. Thank you for downloading this edition of For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis. For Our Edification is brought to you with the support of the Purposeful Philanthropy Foundation. And you can find the podcast on some of the biggest platforms. We are now on Amazon Music. Of course, we're on Podbean. And you can find us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, Apple, and Google, of course, and more. Check out the For Our Edification page at eddiefrancis.com slash for our edification. So you may remember that Naomi Osaka cited mental health reasons for dropping out of the French Open. You remember what happened most likely with Simone Biles when she decided that she was going to forego her Olympic team's final for the same reason. Mental health. She had the twisties. And social media descended upon these two, didn't they? I mean, they were highly critical of these athletes, accusing them of quitting, quitting on their teams, being spoiled and all of that good stuff. There were people who said that they should have known that this came with the job. Well, that's pretty debatable. And I don't necessarily disagree with all of it. However... I think we need to think about this really carefully. So here's what I decided to do. I wanted to reach out to an athlete or maybe a former athlete to talk about this. But then I started thinking, what if I were to ask someone who had a bit of a different perspective about mental health when it comes to athletes? What if I were to reach out to someone in the media who has to ask these folks a lot of questions about what they do and why they make the decisions that they make about their respective sports? So I reached out to David Grubb. You might remember him from episode three of For Our Edification when he talked about what happens when athletes mess up in games and matches and their respective sports. It was great to have my brother back. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. Joining me on For Our Edification is my man, David Grubb. Uh, he was on episode three of our edification. He talked about what happens when uh, when athletes suffer the crushing defeats. And uh, he's done a whole lot since then, by the way. So uh, he is the host of the Heart and the Paint podcast. He is the host also of Crunch Time on 103.7 The Game in Lafayette, Louisiana. He uh, covers the Pelicans for the Bird Rights. He's a co-host of The Bird Calls, and he's a contributor for MLBBro.com. Grub. What's up, Grub? How you living, brother? Busy. <laughs> Busy. <laughs> you and are. it's just about, I mean, everything's back at the same time. Yeah. Everything. So um, college football, uh, NFL, NBA, Summer League starts this weekend. It's already started. So, yeah. Yeah. And just, I mean, it, and the Pels are having an, the, the, the Pelicans are having an active offseason, very active offseason. Um, the Saints are having a pretty active offseason. Um, and so there, there's a there's a lot going on in your world, man, a whole lot going on in your world. So I know I know you have an exciting time right now. It's exciting, but it's like the planning because, you know, the Friday nights doing high school and Saturdays, oh, right. I'm the lead for LSU. And then, of course, on Sundays, you got to be prepared for whatever the Saints are doing. 
and then it starts all over again and, and then five days a week of content for your show you know what it is getting guests and making sure you're prepped and have enough knowledge on all those things so but i do it because i love it i yeah. do it because i love it man look you're, you're doing your thing man and i know that you have been in some very active social media conversations you've been on some very active uh conversations or in some very active conversations on your shows especially with the issues of mental health coming up when it comes to athletes. I mean, we had Simone Biles who said, Hey, listen, I'm going to take a couple of, <laughs> I'm going to take a break for a couple of days. I'm getting this case of the twisties. Uh, you had Naomi Osaka who told the media y'all kick rocks for a little bit because I'm having a mental health situation. And you've had these people who have been highly critical of it. Um, and so you have seen athletes up front. So let, let me take you back. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let me take you back to the last time you had to go to the Pelicans locker room and interview them after a crushing defeat. And I, re I can't remember which basketball player it was, but there was a basketball player. And I think he's a journalist right now. And he talked about this on NPR. He talked about the fact that you're sitting there, you just lost the game. You're still in your uniform and everybody's sticking these microphones in your face and they're asking you all these questions. And I can only imagine myself. I mean, listen, I can't stand it when I make a mistake on a tweet. Okay. And it, it just, it stays with me <laughs> because I'm yeah. sitting there going, this is one of my best tweets. It's gotten some traction and I made a mistake on it. And so one grammatical error. One yeah, I mean, dude, I'm sitting there and, and it's just staying with me for days and days and days. But on a serious note, I mean, I can only imagine, and I think I said this on the, on the um, I think I said this the last time we talked, that I remember Harry Edwards, you know, the great Dr. Harry Edwards, saying that whenever an athlete loses a game, whenever a team loses a game, it's like their soul slips through the bottom of their feet, which is the most dramatic thing. But take me back to what it's like to look into the faces of these players after they win. And you know they don't want to talk to the media. I, I mean, what is, what is that like for you on the media side? Honestly, it's uncomfortable at times. You know, anytime you're around people immediately after a public failure, because that's what, you know, losing an athletic competition is. It's a public failure. Even if you think that you performed well, the loss is what any, it was all people are going to remember. And like you said, the vulnerability of it, because not, you know, not even in your uniform, let's say you, you're there and you're sitting there in the towel shirt off feet in the ice tub. And you're having to talk about these things before you can even heal physically before you can even process it. Yeah. There's these people who want to get this information out of you. And I try to be very mindful of that because I've seen, athletes who are angry when they lose. I see athletes that are down when they lose. You know, there are just a lot of different ways to react to it. There are people who are very professional about it. Like, this is my job. Sometimes we lose. This is how it goes. There's so many different reactions. So I think you have to be in tune with the, how those players respond. And you pay attention to them when you're in the locker room. Because I want to have a cooperative relationship with athletes mm -hmm. when I talk to them. So part of that is understanding their perspective. When are you going too far into your question? Mm. I don't ask mm. feel questions. You know, I, I do not ask athletes, how do you feel? Because how do you think they feel? After a <laughs> exactly. loss, you know, 
It's like, you know, somebody you, you see on the news, somebody loses their family member. How do you feel right now? Your house burned down. How do you, they feel bad. Yeah. So let's talk about something specific so that I can get your mind pointed away from how you feel. And let's talk about something that you can think about this situation. What happened here? Let's be very specific to take you out of the feelings place. And I think you get more honesty that way. So that when I talk to that player in a non-competitive situation, when it's practice day, when it's shoot around, when I get to that position, because I've been fairer with them in their emotions, I didn't take advantage of them in that moment yeah. and try to just get something that looks good on camera. I get more openness out of them later. And they're more willing to talk to you because you treated them like a human being and not like a quote machine that you needed to get your stuff out of, get back to your computer and type it out. So I think I try to be very considerate when it comes to athletes, make my questions specifically about the game and never personalize it to the individual um, just within their role within the game, because the rest of that stuff is obvious. And they'll tell you, you know, if the emotion is going to come, they will reveal it to you on their own. You just have to open the door for them. Is it a fair criticism though? Is, is it a fair criticism when fans say, you know, you're a professional, you got to learn how to take it. You lost the game. It's on you. Is, is that a fair criticism? No, it's not. Because like in any job, we all, have bad days are just aren't in public. Mm -hmm. I mean, ours kind of are because we right. work in very public spaces. Um, but most people, if you dropped a burger on the ground at McDonald's, there's not a press conference afterwards. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if you miscounted the drawer at the department store, there's no press conference. You got to be accountable for that. You, you it's, it's, it's much different. I think you, there's nothing in the world that prepares you for, hypersensitive criticism mm. you know something that's that's really beyond what you did mm. i can say yeah you should have i think you should could have made this play in the third quarter or you dropped this ball okay that happens that's not a personal failure that is a game failure that is a job failure so i can't you know we personalize this too much because we see these people on television and we see them on you know we, we pay for their jerseys and buy things so we think we own a piece of them mm -hmm. and that they owe us something beyond their job and that's what ultimately these are these are not they're not here for us they're here because this is a job the way that they provide for their families this is what they chose to do for a profession it's one thing to criticize their performance. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to criticize the person. I don't ever believe in questioning a person's character, their effort level. You know, those are things that you need to get from a coach. Those are things you need to get from the player directly. But when you speculate on what something needs to somebody without them telling you, that's just not, that's not appropriate in my mm -hmm. mind. It's not, it's a line that you don't need to cross uh, just because we don't have, we're not entitled to that mental space. We're not in, you know, you go to work. When you go to work, there are days that you are not 100% into that job. And we yeah. all have to kind of muddle through. I'm not, I got to be here. This is what I'm supposed to do. But I'm not giving 100% today. I just don't have. I'm giving you 100% of what I got. Mm -hmm. But it's not 100% of what I have. You know what I mean? Like, it's not all of my talent. I'm just giving you what I have today. And I'm just trying to make it. And I think that happens for athletes plenty of times, too. And, and, and you know, and you see these people say things like, you make all this money, you just need to learn how to deal with it and take it. But, you know, corporate CEOs make a lot of money. 
and nobody sees their mistakes and they make a lot. They make a whole lot of mistakes. They make mistakes that cause people to lose their job. Okay. I mean, they make, they, they, they approve bad financial, they make bad financial decisions. They approve bad financial decisions. And they get bonuses. Up, and, and they get bonuses on top of all of that. And they don't get half as much grief as, you know, some 23 year old kid who dropped a pass. You know, in 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 uh, in in the in a, in a crucial moment in the game, you know, and so it's it's interesting because one of the things I stopped doing, um, and and this is something you know, Dave and I were talking right before the podcast, and I was I was I was apologizing to Dave for not listening to as much of his stuff as I would want to because at some point I just kind of dipped out of sports, and it was between the Colin Kaepernick issue, the unfairness of it, but then it was also looking at fans and fan behavior and how fans react to stuff. Um, you know, it, it still angers me when fans jump on Marcus Williams for missing a tackle against Diggs. You know, it, 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 it gets, it got to me last year when, when fans said that Jared cook was the reason the saints lost to the bucks, you know, the whole team has something to do with that, by the way. Um, but, you know, you, you, you look at the word fan, it is short for fanatic. <laughs> fanatic. A fanatic is someone who is pretty singular-minded, they're overzealous, and at some point, I just decided to start calling myself a sports fan, because I'm not a sports fan. I appreciate sports, I love sports, I'm not a fan, though, because I just, you know, when Simone Biles said, I'm getting a case of the twisties, I have to take a break, I guess, and I guess it's because it's, it's the age that we are, we have kids, and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm probably old enough to be her dad. And I'm sitting there thinking, if my daughter tells you that when she's twisting in the air, she loses her place and she's afraid she's going to break her neck, F you, move on, and everything's going to be all right, all right with your life. She could lose her life if she decides that she's going to go and take this on. So I, it's, it, I, guess, I guess I'm frustrated by the fan reaction more than anything else. And I know with you being a radio host, being a podcast host. And you, you told me before this interview that people get in your DMS when they don't like your opinion. I mean, how, how does this, how does this all fall with you? Even as a, as a, as a host of a sports radio show. I have to keep it impersonal too. Like there's things I just won't allow people to address me and I'm not, I don't engage it. You know, the block yeah. button became my friend <laughs> um, because it's, it's too much. Yeah, it's too much. People feel like you owe them that abuse. Like they, like you're supposed mm. to take it because you you volunteered an opinion, but that's my job. You know, this is my job to give an informed opinion. I hope, and sometimes I'm going to be incorrect. And and one of the things that Ross Jackson and Ross Jackson is an amazing sports. Uh, personality does so much for uh, Canal Street Chronicles and all these things. And he and I um, do editions of my podcast called the Dome Patrol uh, because we're two ball brothers who love the Saints. So, you know, we call ourselves <laughs> the Dome Patrol. And, but Ross and I had some very pointed conversations throughout the course of the year on understanding that it's not our goal to be right every time. That is not my goal. My goal is to take the information I have, process it as best I can, and come up with a reasoned response. Sometimes I, I end up with the wrong conclusion, but I'm okay with that. 
I'm okay with being wrong. What I don't deserve in those situations is people gleefully and rudely coming back to point out my wrongs. Mm. And that's the thing is people take so much joy in you being wrong. Yeah. They don't want to talk about when you're right. And I don't care about the, the times that I'm right either because I'm not getting paid to be right or wrong. I'm paid to give you my analysis. I'm paid to provide a good conversation. But that thing about getting people in tabulations of who's right and who's wrong every time, what is that getting you? Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I don't, I'm, you're not going to insult me personally. You're not going to call me out my name. You're not going to do those types of things. If you want to engage me and say I'm wrong and this is why I'm wrong, I'll listen to you. But once you cross into that barrier of you're this because you think that, then we can't, we can't have a conversation anymore. We can't deal with each other as adults and as intelligent people because what you're trying to do is, is get some feeling of your own. You want, you, all you want is my anger. You want me to be upset to make you feel better. And I think it's the same thing with athletes too, because there's a lot of, and, and frankly, I hate using the word, but it is what it is. It's jealousy. There are people who would like to be in our seats, who would like to do what we do, but we don't, I don't take any particular feeling of special being special from doing this. This was the job I wanted and I've worked to get to this place. The same with an athlete. They have worked their entire life to get to that moment. I'm not jealous. I don't begrudge them their moment in the sun. I don't begrudge them their talent. I don't begrudge them their opportunity to make millions of dollars. They did the work to get there. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of folks out here who all think that if their high school coach had been cooler with them, they'd be in the NFL or they'd be <laughs> in the NBA. You know what I'm saying? Like what well, the teachers didn't understand me or they didn't give me a shot. No, you're just not there. And stop being so angry about what other people are doing like you said, this is entertainment. We don't do this about TV shows. You know what I'm saying? TV, Game of Thrones ends and people are mad about the ending of Game of Thrones. <laughs> but they're not going up to these actors and telling them you did a terrible job acting out this stuff. It's entertainment. And that's what sports ultimately is. It's entertainment. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But you can't take it personally. Yeah, they do, man. They do. Oh, speaking of which, so speaking of Dome Patrol, I'm really admiring the picture in the back of the Dome Patrol. Greatest linebacking core in NFL history. I agree with the ranking that they got. Um, you're listening to the uh, For Our Edification podcast. I'm Eddie Francis, and we're talking to David Grubb. David Grubb, sports host extraordinaire. Uh, my dude, we go back, man. We really go back. And it's so funny. David and I, we have this real interesting path where we've shared jobs almost. <laughs> we both did PRs, you know, we both have been comms and marketing directors at Dillard. And so um, always good to talk to you, man. And so, so let me ask you this. Um, you know, when 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 you talk about um athletes and 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 you know, you've been in the locker room. You have seen them struggle through these interviews after crushing defeats, injuries, injuries. So injuries, from what I understand, that's where athletes really seem to suffer mentally and emotionally, right? When they, when they get injured. Yes, because it takes, look, I I live with mental illness and then we'll talk about that. And and you know, I'm open about that. I live with bipolar disorder and it's, a, it's the same, I, I understand the depth of it because it makes you very empathetic because it's almost as if you, if you can't trust the one thing you really need to trust. And for an athlete, you have to trust your body. 
Yeah. And for a mental illness, you have to trust your brain. Right. And when that's injured in some way, and, and that's what it is when, you, when you're having an episode of mental illness, whether it's a battle of depression, whether it's, you know, whatever you're going through at that moment, it's an injury that you can't really explain to people. You know, I remember the story of Andrew Tony. Mm. And if people don't know who Andrew Tony is, he was one of the greatest shooters of all time. Came out of UL um, in Lafayette. Um, is just a phenomenal shooter, played on the 1983 Philadelphia 76ers championship team. Mm -hmm. And he single-handedly knocked out the Boston Celtics that year, just destroyed them. He had a foot injury that didn't show up on x-rays. And he kept telling the other coaches, I can't play, my feet hurt, my feet hurt. And people kept doubting him. And he Mm -hmm. was trying to say, I can't play, my feet hurt. And I remember the first... Charles Barkley um, memoir that he wrote. Um, he talked about he's sitting on the bench with Andrew Tony, and he bumped his foot accidentally with his shoe, just bumped it. And he saw a tear come down Andrew Tony's eye. Oh, wow. Because the pain was that bad. And I think that's also just, it's not only the pain, it's the knowing that this is what I do. I play basketball. Yeah. And my feet won't let me do that. Yeah. You know, and, and nobody believes you. And I think that's that's why when athletes, you know, they, they use that phrase, are you hurt or are you injured? Because everybody's hurt after week one, no matter what sport it is, baseball, basketball, football. Everybody's hurt now because your body's ex- exerting itself at this really high level. But injury becomes so personal yeah, because it could cost you your job. It could cost you, you know, performance. It could cost you money. It could cost you your further injury. You know, so all those things are going through your head. And with the length of a career of the average professional athlete, you think about that. Immediately, your livelihood is threatened. Mm -hmm. Anytime you're hurt, you don't know if you're ever going to be right. You hope Mm -hmm. you are. You hope a surgery goes well. You hope a fracture heals properly. But how many times have we seen when it doesn't? So it's a risk. And I don't think people get that on a a day-to-day basis because we're not generally in jobs that require it. You're not going to lose your job if you can't use your foot anymore. Mm-hmm. You still come to work and function. Mm-hmm. But a basketball player, if his ankles are no good, if his knees are gone, it doesn't matter how good you can play when you're healthy if you can never be healthy. Yeah, and I think that's a really personal thing because there's so many, think about all those pressures on a daily basis. I have my commitment to myself, my commitment to my team, those family members who are counting on my level of income, all of these fans who think that I'm this and the ones who are talking about me because they think I'm no good. That's a lot of stuff coming at you in different directions that none of us have to deal with on a daily basis. How many athletes do you think hide the fact that they not a mental illness, but they, they are struggling mentally. How, how many do you think hide that? I would say it's a large percentage. I would mm. say you're talking somewhere to the general U.S. population, like what one in three of us go through some type of mental health issue yeah. over over time. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're just now starting to understand the benefits of counseling, mm. of, of sports medicine um, and sports psychologists who deal with confidence issues, who deal with those uh, recovery issues. Um, And I I think that that we're taught, particularly men, particularly male athletes and and black male athletes, especially. Yeah. That's not something you talk about. That, that is something that that's a sign of weakness. 
and we don't want people to perceive us as being weak. And so I think that that keeps it quiet and you're starting to slowly see this trickle of people talking about it, but the majority of them have been women. Mm-hmm. The majority of the athletes who have come forward have been women. There have been Kevin Love has come out, you know, and we've seen some other athletes who've, who've told their stories, but it's more so women who have been, who have been pushing this forward and thank you for them. Mm-hmm. You know, the WNBA was at the forefront of, of talking about mental health issues among its players last year in that bubble. And then the NBA and Kyrie Irving started bringing it out of what this is doing to us mentally. And we need to talk about these things. I spent some time talking to Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf about that and about mm. how mm-hmm. you subject yourself to these conditions because you're expected to. And I think that there's a general suppression and, and black people good at that in general too. Yeah, We have often learned how to just mask our pain, swallow it and just carry it and let it damage us in that regard rather than expose it to other people and potentially feel vulnerable in that regard. Yeah, is that what happened to Greg Oldham? Did, did, do you think he mentally broke down? Did he did he get to that point where he just, it just wasn't working? And we know, no, no, not even Greg Um, Because with him, it was more physical injury. Yeah, which... the, the legs never could get right for him and that was unfortunate. But that stuff takes, I mean, you remember you see stuff though, when his career ended, it was, he had some issues off the court in yeah. that transition back to life. Because again, you're the number one pick. People expect a certain level of success mm-hmm. for you. You've been living up to this since the 10th grade or eighth mm-hmm. grade, whatever, whenever he became that and that pressure, I, I just think it would be hard for anybody to all of a sudden not be that person that people expected you to be. And then again, for it to not really be your fault not your decision it wasn't that you couldn't play is that your body would not allow you to I mean I I can't I just can't imagine having that taken away from me it's 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 like an artist losing their sight or a musician losing their hearing it's that you're taking away my gift you know who is the brother who is the Kwame Brown who was mm-hmm. who was beefing with Matt Barnes a few weeks ago? <sighs> so people were people were when Kwame Brown was going at it with Matt Barnes, and it was interesting because he was going at Matt Barnes, but Matt Barnes didn't really seem to be going at it with him. And everybody was was saying, "Yeah, that's right," you know. Yeah, and I was sitting there going, "This this man is speaking from a real place of pain. This is not strength. That's no, happening with him. This is pain." That this, was this, scary. Man, this man is hurt. He's really hurt. And and was I reading that right? I absolutely think you were. I was scared for Kwame. Yeah. I was scared for him because I understood the first part of it. You right. get tired of people talking about you. I can exactly. get it. Exactly. Um, but he also has to understand that within a basketball context, again, you are the number one pick. You did not live up to expectations. So people who criticize your basketball, I think there's legitimate criticism there. You didn't develop yeah, as a player. A, it, it didn't even sound personal when when they played the clip of Matt Barnes and everyone talking. I was like, what? This didn't sound personal. They just they just said it didn't work out. And the thing is, the guy that he probably has the most beef with isn't here anymore. And yeah. Kobe Bryant, who talks so, or Michael Jordan, if those are the two people you're really angry about, yeah. <laughs> if those are the people, then you needed to have talked with them during that. But going after television or, you know, radio or whatever personalities who are talking about your game, 
yeah. and saying you're not good at this game, that's something you do have to live with. Yeah. They didn't talk about Kwame Brown as a person. Nobody said Kwame was a bad person. Nobody said yeah. Kwame was a criminal. All these things. Nobody said anything like that. I think you need to keep it in the realm that it is. If somebody's only giving you that negative energy about your play, mm-hmm. you need to understand that part's going to come. But if it gets personal, yeah. But Kwame was coming from a place, like you said, it was so raw. Yeah. It was so angry. It was yeah. so confrontational. It was threatening. It was, I'm willing to, to come down there and show you what's up. Yeah. Well, now we're not, you're not debating. You're not coming at me and saying, look, my career was my career. Yeah. It may be, yeah. It may be I didn't live up to what your expectations were, but I worked hard and mm-hmm. it didn't, the chips fell where they may. But I played 10 years in this league, 12 years, whatever. I made a living here where yeah. most guys wouldn't have. I think everybody would say Kwame wins. Kwame he he wins. lasted longer than most. He really he did. Got, he got a, over a decade of NBA experience and, and made his money and he's okay to take care of his family. Yeah. That's yeah. the bigger picture. If you're content with yourself, you don't respond the way Kwame did. So like and, you said, and, there's something deep and raw that he's never dealt with. Yep. That yep. came to the surface in those, those weren't about Matt Barnes. It wasn't about Steven Jackson. It wasn't about Stephen A. Smith. That's a wound that he has not healed since he was 18 years old. Yes. Yes. And, and that was the thing. I was so worried about him. When I saw the video, I was I was worried about him. And I'm sitting here going, this man, first of all, he was driving and he was on his phone doing his commentary and he's cussing these dudes out and he's he wants he's threatening people and all this other stuff. And it really hacked me off because I got so sick of all these sports fans. Who was saying, "Yeah, that's right, Kwame. You need to, you need to show him something." Da, 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 da. Y'all don't understand it, and I'm sitting here going, "You know, you, you, y'all are sitting here really bucking him up, and this is not the right time. This is not the right situation, and he is really not. He's not right right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just heard so much pain from him. I heard some, and there was the anger, but it was really more pain than anger to me." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're right. I, I think he just has these unresolved issues about his career and how things didn't work the way everybody else thought they were working. And, and I'm sure the way he thought it would work, but I, it was me. I was sitting there and I was watching a young black man go through something really, really bad. And, and he was going through some real touch and go moments and nobody seemed to understand that. And I don't think a lot of people cared either because, you know, everybody was into the whole it's reality show. For them. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was entertainment for them. You know, it was and I, I, I was also upset with the people who, who were who were saying that he was in the right for the for his reaction, you know, mm-hmm. and just people who are who are so hungry or so thirsty for this uncivil discourse, um, especially on social media. And that's the other thing. I mean, I just got the feeling that he did it for social media. I mean, he was going on 30-minute rants. Yes. And and there's no reason for that. There's there's nothing in this that mm-hmm. requires that much conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, if, if you have that kind of disagreement with somebody over your career, me yelling back at 30 minutes over somebody who doesn't like me, I'm not convincing that person in that time. The people who are with you going to always be with you. The people who are against you going to be against you. Let mm-hmm. the chips fall where they may. But like you said, it's a personal thing. It's something that he's got to fix. It's And that's where you see, when you see guys lash out in that regard, that's not about the person. Unless you, you know, there are times 
with Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith, they do get personal. But that wasn't the case here. That wasn't right. the case here. They were talking with Jeannie Buss, and they're saying, at this point, you put together a team that wasn't competitive enough, and this guy was on that team. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, if you got to live – Look, Fred Carter, you remember Fred Carter who used to do all the NBA stuff and played on yeah. the worst team in NBA history, the, the team at the Philadelphia 76 that went 19 and 63? Mm-hmm. He had to live with that his whole life. You were on the worst team in NBA history. And I never <laughs> saw that man without a smile. Right. He's like, I played in the NBA, man. You know what I'm Like, that, was, that doesn't define me. That losing doesn't define me. But, but here's the thing that's messed up. People look at a Fred Carter and he says, I played in the NBA – and they're like, yeah, but you're a loser. You were a loser. And it's like, yeah, but he played in the NBA and you didn't. But he got right. there. He, how many people just don't even get there? You know, it's it's kind of like, I always wonder, uh, who was the place kicker for the Buffalo Bills? Um, Scott Norwood. Yeah, Scott Norwood. You know, it's really interesting because I always wonder, you know, what's his commentary about missing that kick against the Giants in the Super Bowl? And you hear these people say things like, well, you know, the Bills are horrible. They lost four Super Bowls in a row. They went to four Super Bowls in a row, though. That means they had to go through the entire AFC to get there. And they went to four in a row. How many people's teams went to four in a row? I mean, the Vikings went to four, but not in a row, right? But I, I, I just, I, I can't imagine that many of those, well, no. I imagine that there are a few of those guys who do go through it mentally because they have to, they have to go the rest of their lives just knowing that they lost four in a row. But I have to imagine that there's another part of that team that says, man, we got the four in a row. Yeah. uh, You watch that 30 for 30 about them. And the remarkable part of it is, yeah, the losses hurt. And they, you know, each one was worse. Mm -hmm. They lost by more points each Super Bowl. Yeah. Do you have to understand when we talk about, we always talk about resiliency and telling people yeah. that they've got to endure and the challenges, the rewards are worth, you know, worth it because you went through these challenges to get up every year after getting your behind smoked in a Super Bowl yes. and say, we got to go do this again. We're going to go back. We're going to do it. Hey, we, nobody's better than us. Still, we're going to go back out and do it all again. And to go through your division, like toilet paper, basically almost. And then to go through the playoffs and to pull off the wins that they pulled off along the way to get to those to those other three legendary wins. They beat, they had to beat Joe Montana. They had to beat yes. Dan Marino. They had to beat Warren Moon. They had to beat all these quarterbacks. They beat Bo Jackson and the Raiders one year. Yeah, it's it's they took on the best that they could do, and they just happened to be the second best team. And and I'm sorry, again, they were in the arena. I grew mm-hmm. up rooting for the Saints and the Lions. Lions ain't never been. <laughs> if they went to one and lost, I still wouldn't care. I wouldn't right, care if right. they lost because they would be there. They had a chance. Mm-hmm. When the Saints got there, yeah, it was it's so much greater that they won. But for all the years that we were talking about, man, can they get to the playoffs? I remember crying in my living room and asking my mother, will the Saints ever be good? And yeah, I'm just saying, I hope so, baby. <laughs> like, I don't like tears. They, yeah. Will they ever be good? We were rooting for eight and eight. Do you remember? You remember yeah. those days? Yes, I do. I remember them vividly. That's why the Pelicans fans made me laugh so much when they're just like, oh, no, we're never going to make it. I'm sitting there like, what are you crazy? The Pels are going to make it. We it's it's going to take something to get the there. Saints. 
it's going to take some for them to, exactly exactly um I know so you're listening to the uh, Four Hour Edification podcast. I'm Eddie Francis and David Grubb, my man. David Grubb is joining us. He's the host of the uh, of, of Crunch Time on 103.7 The Game. How to laugh at that, Louisiana. Um, also, host of Hard in the Paint, the podcast, and then he is the co-host of, of the Bird Calls, covers the Pelicans for the Bird Rights, and he is a contributor for MLBBro.com. Okay, so I got to ask you. You you are a media guy um naomi osaka she says okay i can't deal with y'all i can't deal with y'all so i need i'm gonna take a break as someone in the media what was your immediate reaction to that for my part i've always felt like they don't owe us as much as we think that they do Mm. um and again going back to what we first talked out at the beginning it's you talk to somebody right after a loss and it can be very raw and you don't know what they've been going through in their life. You don't know what happened in that match. And I think we all at some point deserve the opportunity to say, I'm not ready to talk right now. We do that in our lives. And we say, somebody come up to you and say, let's talk about it. I'm not ready to talk right now. I need some time. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the, in the end of the match, the story can still be told without her quotes Mm. saw what happened if, if that's your job is to watch you can say she looks frustrated and you and, and just that non-answer to say i can't talk today that's that's the story in and of itself this is where she is i don't need more from you thank you you gave me what i needed <laughs> yeah. i mean honestly yeah because you've told me that's my job as the reporter then i you know we're supposed to take what they give us and turn it into whatever it has to be they don't owe us particular answers mm-hmm. you know i you know one of the lessons that i'm sure you teach to, to, to young journalists too is i don't walk into an interview with a pre pre um determined outcome right right and you meet a lot of people who do i know the story i want to write and i'm gonna go in there and i'm gonna get that story so the questions i ask are to get that story well i'm listening to all the questions mm-hmm. and there are going to be things that point out that, that stick out to me that may change my whole tone Exactly. And where I'm going to go, I have to listen to that athlete too, because they may reveal something to me that I wasn't looking for that now I need to follow. So when she says, I can't do this, okay, now my follow up is later because I'm going to talk about the match today. I'm going to say emotionally, she says she wasn't ready to deal with this today. Give that person some space. Now I can go back and talk to you later. What, what was going on that day? Mm-hmm. Why could, didn't you feel like you wanted to talk? And they say, and like she said, she came out and she was very open with it. This is the reasons that I didn't want to speak on that day. And this is what I felt like I needed to pull back. The competition is what they signed up for. That's what they signed up for. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is a favor. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's the way I view it. The, the ability to converse with them is a privilege and a favor that they extend to us. And certainly the leagues require athletes to come and talk to you but to me i i just have to treat that as whatever opportunity you get maximize it and if they don't give you a ton then you got to work with what you work with but i think there's this entitlement that comes along from a lot of journalists that again we dehumanize the athlete and they are simply there to serve us either as on the field or when they get off to give us our bites and we move on, we do not accept their personhood and their ownership of their own space. 
and we would not tolerate these things in our own lives. We would never walk into somebody's dressing room. You wouldn't walk into a doctor's, you know, an operate after he finishes an operation where maybe you lost a, a patient. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna go right into that doctor's, you know, while they're changing out of their scrubs and everything and immediately go, so what happened in that surgery? That's the reason why they have a board of review later to talk about those cases when something goes wrong. Because emotionally right then, they're not capable of, of going through it. They need time. And I think that happens too. Whenever you're working in something that's highly pressurized and something goes wrong, sometimes you need a, a moment to gain a proper perspective and not say something that you're going to regret. And we have to give people the right to do that. So let me play devil's advocate. Though. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate as the, mm-hmm. as, as the sports fan this time. And I say, hey, you know what? They decided that they wanted to play this game. They decided they wanted to go for the victory. They are definitely enjoying the money. They're making more money than I am. To whom much is given, much is required. I'm entitled to that as a fan. So is, is, a, fan, is a fan being unfair when they're saying, no, Naomi Osaka, she needs to step up because she's making way more money than I am. She's doing something that I that I'm not doing. And yeah, I know, I know if I had the talent, I'd be doing it too. But still, to whom much is given, much is required. And she's been given a lot. Are, are the fans being, and I know I, I know that I framed this with the whole fan definition earlier, but is there some fairness at least to what they're saying? I think players should be accessible. I do believe that, you know, that's part of the job is to give you some time but what they give you is not up to you. That's the whole thing is like, you don't get to control what they say. And, and that's, and you can never satisfy the fan in that regard. Yeah. Because if, if she had sat up there and just saying, I had a bad match today, you know, remember, you remember the, the Rasheed Wallace one, yeah. both teams played hard, both teams played hard, both teams played hard. Well, when you get that, then you're not happy. But what he's telling you then is if I really articulate what I have to say, you know, the things that if I say what I'm trying to say by both teams play hard, nobody's going to be happy because well, I'm going to get a fine. You're going to hear some words you might not want to hear. As yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. My coach ain't going to be happy with me. The league ain't going to be happy with me. So I'm giving you what I can. That ends up being a moment. That's you know why saying? that's why I love Bill Belichick's press conferences. I know people don't like Belichick. But I like his press conferences. They make me laugh because I'm sitting here going, this man is going to sit, he's going to stand up here and he's going to jerk him around for as long as he possibly can. And he's going to go with, on to Buffalo. I mean, he's he's going to keep doing it. And, and, and he's throwing a gauntlet down, constantly saying, you're not going to make me say what you want me to say. I'm going to tell you what I need you to understand and what I want you to know onto Buffalo. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> the only control we have when we ask questions is the question. Mm. Once you ask, we have no control over the response. And you know, when we worked in politics, we've been around enough political campaigns yes. and we've advised people. What do you tell a candidate when you have, a, don't matter what the question is, yeah. you get to answer it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. Whatever they ask you, you turn it back to your talking point. Yeah, and that's what a coach does. That's what a player does when they can, if they're if they are articulated, able to articulate themselves that way. It's a it's all public relations. It's all a campaign. Mm-hmm. And it, whether the coach is trying to convince you their team is good, whether the player is trying to convince you that this loss doesn't mean anything, whatever. Everybody's trying to convince somebody of something. Everybody's trying to sell something. 
But my whole thing is, whatever you give me, if I ask a coach a direct question, like if I've asked, if I, I've asked Ed Orgeron, I said, why aren't more people accountable for what happened at LSU? Mm. You say, we're not going to talk about that? Well, you've given me an answer. Because my expectation of you as the executive is that you should have a better answer than that. So right. now that's my talking point. Mm-hmm. Or it's it's how how smart are you to utilize the information given? What are you going to do with it? You can't get mad because of what you get back from somebody. That's your job is to figure out how to craft it. And and I'm sorry that I think it's lazy journalism for a lot of people who want the the subject to do all the work for you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not mm-hmm. their job to do your job. It's mm-hmm. your job to do your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do are people so is this is this symptomatic the way people have been so critical, uh, especially of Simone Biles, especially of Naomi Osaka. Uh, and those those are the two who stick out because they had enough guts to say, forget y'all, we're gonna take I'm gonna take care of myself. And is this symptomatic of of fans just number one? just not understanding what it's like to walk a mile in an athlete's shoes. And it's not lost on me that this is happening also with two black women. And I'm thinking if Michael Phelps tells you, you know, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to swim and win medals. So. Cause Michael, my, my, Michael Phelps, he does, do, does he get the same grief? No. You know, I had people call into the show when I talked about this and I said, look, Simone Biles made the smartest decision for her team, too. She sure did. It worked out. Like you said, you know, if she goes out there and blows it. Even if she doesn't hurt herself physically, mm-hmm. if she goes out there and gets bad scores and they don't meddle. Then Simone Biles is a villain. Everybody says she disappointed America by doing that. Right. But she did. That's why you have a team, right? That's why you put a team together. It's a team right. event. So right. if she if she had physically hurt herself and somebody else had to step up and they got silver, then they'd say, what a great team team effort to come back and win silver without Simone. And, and bravo and bravo for her team, bravo to her teammates for having her back the way they did and going out and performing. And so for her, again, I, I think people have to view mental health crises no matter when they occur. And some are short and some are long. When they occur and somebody is willing to tell you that, it is you have to treat it like any other injury or illness. Mm-hmm. It is the same because those things impact you in a way that can ultimately risk your health in other ways. And it, it, it again, what does Simone Biles owe us? She's been the greatest athlete in her sport of all time for a decade. What does she owe us? And you say, because she didn't bring a gold medal to whom? I'm never going to touch it. You weren't going to touch it. (laughs) Where's my Simone Biles prize back? (laughs) When we do this thing at the end of the Olympics, whatever the medal count is, name more than four gold medalists. You know what I'm saying? Like all these people who do this, who do this thing, this jingoistic pride thing of I'm, I'm... Name four of these gold medalists. Name the in two years. Tell me how many of these people you cared about. So why do you why are you so invested in Simone Biles right now? It's because you want to be upset with her. Your choice is to be angry because again you're you're not there and you think she's letting her country down. The whole point of the Olympics is what to, it's supposed to be 
is supposed to be about the world coming together in a spirit of equal competition. Mm -hmm. It's not even about the winning because you know, there's so many countries that just, when they come in, they just want to be there. This yeah. is the ultimate moment yes. of their lives. They've trained, they know they're going to they win. Their best time ain't close to winning. Yeah. You know, but they, they're there. And that's what it's supposed to be about the, the, the pure, that's supposed to be the purest purity of competition. That's what the Olympic ideal is supposed to be. But we're making it about what she owes us. And like you said, it's about, it, Serena Williams has had to take on this same thing. When she's talked about, I don't feel it. You know what I'm saying? When, when Arian Foster, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. still in the NFL, he talked about this and people said he was crazy. You know, it's, it's when you are talking about something that impacts you and you're putting your body on the line, if your mind isn't right, what kind of danger are you putting yourself in? Would you want a pilot getting on the air, getting on your airplane, and his brain ain't there that day? He say, "I'm not really feeling this flight today." That's fine, man. Go home. Go to the hotel yeah, take, and sleep. Hey, take your mental <laughs> go, health go, day. Go sleep. Please. Call in and take your mental health day because yes. you are risking other people's lives. Yes. And for Simone Biles, like you said, when you got the twist, these people think that's just no. That's not like the yips in baseball, and she can't hit. She could break her neck. She could mm -hmm. damage her spine. She could blow her knee out. All yeah. of those things. And there are stories of Olympic athletes, especially women, mm -hmm. being pushed to that limit. And yes. we think that that's heroic to get more hurt for other people. Yeah. And I go back to Ricky Waters on that. Mm -hmm. Ricky Waters, who had the greatest line in the history of sports, when they asked him why he didn't stick himself across the middle in a game that they were losing, and he, that catch wasn't going to win the game, and he said, for who? For what? I'm not going to get myself killed for your entertainment. I'm not going to take this lick to, to live up to your belief of what manhood is. I made a business decision because yeah. this is my job. And right. th that's Simone Biles' job. She doesn't work for me. She doesn't work for the United States of America. She works for Simone Biles Incorporated. And she got to protect that as best she can. David Grubb is somebody who, if you want to catch him, make sure you check out his podcast, Hard in the Paint. Also, you can check him out on 103.7, the game out of Lafayette, Louisiana, on his show, Crunch Time. He's a contributor to MLBBro.com. He is also uh, he is also a co-host of the Bird Calls podcast, and he covers the New Orleans Pelicans for the Bird Rights. They, you the man. I'll try. Simple, I? <laughs> I try. Thanks a lot for joining me, my brother. Anytime, you know that. Anytime you need me, I'm there. I made the distinction that I no longer refer to myself as a sports fan. And trust me, I don't. I work on it. Sometimes it does almost come out when I say I'm a sports And no, I can't say it anymore. And it's because of the connotation. The connotation of being overzealous and singular-minded just not really even thinking about what's happening with the athletes just thinking about my own fandom i can't do that anymore because when it comes to college athletes and pro athletes as we like to say this big cliche they are under a microscope and that is very real for them we people who watch these games especially the fans they watch what athletes do but 
Do we do what they do? How many of us have actually done what they do, especially at the levels that they are doing it? I mean, how many of us have been big division one college athletes with thousands of people watching us in the stadium and millions watching us on TV, the camera with these extreme close-ups of these folks after they mess up a play. How many of us have been in that position? It's easy to place judgment in this one way relationship where we watch what the athletes do, especially fans. And we get the luxury of saying, just shut up and play the game. Yes, these folks get paid a lot of money. Yes, they have extraordinary abilities. Yes, mental toughness is definitely a part of the package of what they do. And yeah, they should know what they signed up for. But that doesn't mean that they're not human. The human mind is still fragile. And most fans are none the wiser about the story behind the stories. You know, I can kind of sort of relate. I used to work in radio. When I made a mistake on air, everybody heard the mistake. I still work in the public eye as a marketing and public relations director of a university. So yeah, when one of my folks makes a mistake publicly, a misspelling on a press release, a misspelling on a tweet, some mistake on a video, oh yeah, we hear about it. My people hear about it. I hear about it. And because we are under public scrutiny, one of the things I always tell my team is, please, if you need to take a mental health day because this is a high pressure job, let me know, take the day, get some rest so you can come back fresh the next day and do your job with excellence. You know, I have a viewing suggestion for you. Check out this documentary on Netflix called Malice at the Palace. If you are into sports, you know exactly what this is about. It's about the infamous brawl that broke out at an Indiana Pacers Detroit Pistons game in 2004. I actually remember when this happened. And the documentary centers around three Indiana Pacers players, um, Jermaine O'Neal, Stephen Jackson, and Ron Artest, who is now known as Meta World Peace. Now, pay attention to Meta World Peace's commentary about his mental health. And then pay attention to the reactions to him, especially back then. The rush to judgment was very real. But you see, as Meta World Peace's name suggests, the man has only been looking for one thing throughout his life. Peace. And he's not alone. It's the same thing that a lot of athletes look for. Just peace of mind. They want to enjoy playing the games. And yes, they want fans to be pleased with their work. Now, if you're one of those fans who believes that people should just shut up and play. And by the way, as a black man, it's not lost on me that shut up and play is often applied to black athletes. My suggestion is this. If you're one of those shut up and play people. Just don't buy the merchandise. Stop watching the sports. Stop watching these athletes. Go find some other heroes, okay? Those of us who appreciate what they do, we don't want them to shut up and play. We want them to enjoy what they do, and we want to enjoy what they do with them. 
We appreciate what they do, whether they win or lose, whether they're under pressure or not. And if they need a mental health day, we are perfectly fine with it because we know that they are only human. We will thank them for their efforts and we will allow them the time and the space to preserve their identity, their value, and their peace of mind. Many thanks to my man, David Grubb, for joining me on For Our Edification. Yet again, he's not going to be a stranger, but make sure you check David out, okay? Check him out on Crunch Time at 1037thegame.com. Check out his podcast, Hard in the Paint. You can check it out at hitpwithdg.com. mlbbro.com is another place you can check out Dave's work, thebirdrights.com, and the bird calls a podcast on Spotify. All of that information is right here on the podcast page and check out for our edification at eddiefrancis.com slash for our edification. Please, please, please rate it, follow it, share it with friends. And thank you for Dr. Halima Malik Francis. I'm Eddie Francis. Thank you so much for downloading this edition of for our edification. <laughs>